We're not like encouraging, like, you know, like hugging and all that stuff, but some people around you just turn, say, hey, what's up? Good to see you. As you take your seat and those online, we welcome you again today. Appreciate our worship team. These guys work hard. Come on, let's give it up for these folks. They really work hard. Some of them have not missed a week in 13 weeks. They have been at this thing without a break and practicing and preparing. So, well, listen, it's good to see you. I'm so glad you guys journeyed out and made it to church today in person. And those of you online watching, we want to say hi to you. We're praying for you and we're thinking of you. And we do miss you, and hopefully you'll get to be in person soon as well. We'd love to see everyone in our church family. Well, let me invite you to open up your Bibles, your Bible apps, whatever you're using today. Maybe you have the whole Bible memorized, and that'd be awesome. But to the Gospel of Luke, New Testament Gospel of Luke chapter 10. Gospel of Luke chapter 10. Last week, we looked at a version of this particular text in Matthew's gospel. It's also in Mark's gospel. Today, we're going to take a look at it here, the gospel according to Luke. You know, in the Great Commission, uh, in Matthew 28, Jesus gives a final command to his followers. Not to an institution, not to an organization, but to living, breathing people. Followers of the way. Followers of Christ. And he tells them to go out into all the world from their homes, in essence, to the highways of life, wherever they go, with the charge to make disciples, followers of all nations. In other words, all types of different people. So God set it up in Christ for the church, for followers of Jesus, to not exclude anyone from hearing the message of the good news and from building and forming and bridging relationships that would foster discipleship, a drive, a desire to want to learn and grow and mature in the Lord. No one would be excluded. Because the Bible is very clear that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, anyone. And so Jesus says in his final reminder in the book of Acts, Luke writes that as well, that right before the ascension of Jesus back into, or into heaven, he gives a final reminder and he says, hey, the way you're going to be able to go out and make disciples of all kinds of different people. The way you're going to go out and make followers of Christ, of all different kinds of people groups, is you're going to do so under the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you're going to need the Holy Spirit to come in your life, to fill you with power. In fact, he said the Spirit of God will come on you in power so that you can be witnesses for Jesus Christ, so that you can go on and not only live this life for yourself, and follow Christ, but so you can also be a living witness to whomsoever you would encounter and be around to make followers of Christ. We have been given a command. We have been given the great commission to follow, which brings us to this text here in Luke chapter 10. 
verse 25. We're going to read through this story, this exchange between Jesus and another person. It says this, it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say, and how do you read it? And the man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. He said, do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He goes on and gives this story. He replied, Jesus replied with a story. You guys follow him? He says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road. And passed him by. Then it says, a temple assistant, or a Levite, as some translations say, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and where he took care of him. Verse 35, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, hey, take care of this man and if this bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. The prophets Micah and Isaiah, they had an overlapping ministry around the mid to early 700 B.C. time frame. They existed in a time that, where the land was full of oppression and pride Corruption, false piety, civil unrest. Sound familiar? And here's what they said. Micah 6, 8, he said, This is what the Lord requires of you to do what is right or what is just. To love mercy. To walk humbly with your God. And Isaiah said something very similar in Isaiah 1, verse 17. He said, Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, and fight for the rights of the widows. And then Jesus comes along, and his teaching is about, he says, basically, the way he taught and the way he teaches us is that the personification of a person comes from within. In other words, what you are and what you do is rooted 
in who you are in your heart. And there's only one who could ever change the heart of mankind, and that is Jesus himself. The thing is, no one can legislate to love somebody. Only one can have Jesus' love come in to their life, and therefore the love of Christ would then compel us to love other people. And of course, to love him, to love ourselves even. And Jesus goes on in his teaching and he tells us, hey, you are called to be light in this very dark world. In this background of this story here in Luke chapter 10, as I mentioned, we looked at a version of it last week. We're looking at a different perspective of it this week. I've titled today's message, Hope for My Neighbor. Hope for My Neighbor. And so, this, it said this religious expert asked Jesus this question. But the nature in which he asked the question, it says, was to test Jesus. He asked the question to trip Jesus up, so to speak. In other words, the guy didn't ask the question from a standpoint of, hey, help me learn, help me understand, help me know something here. He asked the question from a different standpoint, which begs the question for us, and the notion is that we should exercise caution when we ask questions because we can either be asking questions like this guy from an arrogant standpoint, and when we ask questions from an arrogant standpoint, we must be ready to receive a rude awakening confronted by truth. But if we ask questions from an ignorant standpoint, not, I don't mean that in a negative connotation, I mean it in the literal sense that I just don't know. Help me learn, Lord. Teach me what you mean, God, because I just don't understand. Then we can be welcomed with revelation to where our lives can be conformed by the truth. And so, Jesus goes and give an, he gives an answer. He, he knows where the, the angle of where this guy's coming from. So he answers in this story. And he tells him there's this man, Jewish man, traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. The thing about that is that was a, that was a common road of life. It was open to all and frequented by everyone. And it was common for the priests and the Levites to travel that road to and from Jerusalem to Jericho to, for their religious duties, their religious purposes, and different people were on that road. And so this story then is about what takes place on that common road of life. What takes place on that common road of life? And for us, we need to ask ourselves when we read this text, what, what takes place on the common roads of our life? The places we live, our neighborhoods, our neighbors, our streets. What takes place on the common roads of life in our workplaces, with our bosses, with our fellow employees? What takes place on the common roads of life in school, or with our teachers, with our peers, with our friends? What takes place on the common roads of life, the places where we frequent now that we get to do that again? 
places like restaurants or gas stations or grocery stores or places of entertainment, wherever we would find ourselves on the common road of life. What, what takes place there? What is happening there? It was on this common road of life where this Jewish man was attacked. He was beaten. He was robbed. He was stripped. He was left for dead. And the religious leaders avoided him and chose not to get involved. But then came along this good Samaritan who was not like the Jewish man at all. He and the Jewish man were polar opposites. They had nothing in common. They did not look alike. They did not act alike. Nothing was common between them. But they were on this common road of life where everybody travels, where everybody goes. And so paths would intersect somehow. And he helps him and he provides hope for his neighbor. And I want to talk to you today in a little bit of time we have left about this story offers us some insight on ways we can be hope to our neighbor. Got 300 ways we can be hope. Are you ready for it? I'm kidding. There's three. There's just three. You ever know me to list 300 ways? No. I'm good. At, I, I, I do pretty good to do three, so I'll try with that. Three ways that this story shows us how we can be hope to our neighbor. Now, here's the thing. As we travel through this story, we, we need to also look at the parallel to this story. The parallel to this story is that we were like this man who was beaten, robbed, and left half dead but in our trespasses, unable to help ourselves, unable to save ourselves. Colossians 2 says, Paul writes, we were dead because of our sins, but God made us alive with Christ. And in Ephesians 1, Paul, or excuse me, Ephesians 2, Paul writes, once you were dead because of your many sins, just in case we think we don't have many, we do, but God was rich in mercy and gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. We were like this man. The parallel to the story is all of us fall there first. I think Jesus said, one without sin. Somebody cast that first stone. Yeah. But then the parallel to this is also the law. The priests and the Levites... They could not help in the sense because the law has no compassion for us. It only shows us, the Bible teaches us in Romans, that the law points us, points us to show us, to confront us with our shortcomings and our sins. That's what it does. It says, hey, here's where you have fallen short. But then comes along Jesus the Good Samaritan to everyone and he brings hope to our life. So as we go through this, we need to keep in mind the parallel to the story that Jesus is answering with. Three ways to be hope for our neighbor. First, this Samaritan and Jesus shows us we can be hope to our neighbor by showing kindness to others. Showing kindness to others. The reason we can show kindness to others is because Christ has shown kindness to us. Amen? Jesus has shown us kindness. Ephesians 1, 
Paul writes, he, God is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. And He has showered His kindness on a showered His kindness. Think of a shower. Think of a, think of a garden hose that showers its garden. You know, it just pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, trying to meet the, the, the desperation of being parched and needing to be drenched, showered us with His kindness. Jesus is kind to us, therefore we can be kind to other people. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, out of the Passion, Paul writes, let love and kindness be the motivation behind all that you do. Come on, let's level with ourselves. We all have motivation. We also have motivations. And not all of our motivations are inspired by love and kindness in areas. I'm not saying all, but in areas we all have a measure of not doing things out of love and kindness. We are selfish creatures. We want our way. We want it to be done for us. And if it's not meant that way, then whatever else happens, happens. Paul's saying, look, we can show kindness to others because Christ has showered us with His kindness. And kindness stems from compassion. This Samaritan, it said that he was moved with compassion and he went over to this man. It also talks about Jesus in Matthew 9. He writes how Jesus looked out across all the multitudes of people, all different kinds of people, and it said he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They had no one to care, had no one to lead, had no one to protect them, had no one to walk with them, and that is all of us. Christ is our shepherd, and He was moved with compassion. The thing about compassion is it will move you to action. It will move you to action. We can all be victims of, a, of our hearts getting hardened and our viewpoints becoming single-mindedness if compassion isn't strong in our heart. And that's why we have to stay close to Jesus because Jesus is so full of compassion. Jesus is so rich in mercy. Jesus is so good at being kind in who he is. Now don't get me wrong, he, he's a strong one. He flipped tables in the temple. He had a whip, man, and it didn't go well that day because there's a righteous indignation that he also carries. But in executing who He is, it's stemmed and motivated by His kindness and His love of who He is. In compassion moves us. Compassion moved this Samaritan. Didn't have to. Chose to. Because compassion compels us to do things we probably normally would not do. But there's another way to be hope for our neighbor as well. This Samaritan shows us, Jesus shows us, and that is this, to serve others. 
Not only can we be kind and show kindness, but we can also extend ourselves to serve others. And the reason you and I can serve others is because Christ first served us out of humility. In fact, Jesus said this of himself, that Matthew records it, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but I came to serve. Look at John 13, verse 12. It says, After washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe and sat down, and he asked them, hey, talking about his disciples, do you understand what I was doing in washing your feet? He said, I have given you an example to follow, so do as I have done unto you. And then Paul writes in Philippians 2 that he said Christ Jesus had this attitude about him, and we should also try to have that same attitude in that he humbled himself and became a servant. He humbled himself and became a servant. Here's what Peter teaches us in 1 Peter 5. He says, All of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Serving. In essence, it means to attend unto someone. To take care of a need for someone else. To supply something to someone. To just... Serve, And when we serve out of humility, God always raises us up with honor. Proverbs 18.12 says, Haughtiness or pride comes before fall or destruction, but humility precedes honor. If we don't want to fall apart and dismantle our lives... And we have to walk in humility. And God always honors humility. He raises people up who live with humility. And Jesus taught this, Luke 14, 11. He said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humility. What, what's humility, though? I've heard this definition often, and I'll, it sinks with, with me. I'll share it with you. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And so Jesus, certainly, we can look at his life and see that he served that way in humility. This Samaritan served this man that day in humility. Said he put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and then paid for the bill. He humbled himself. And he served the man. He met a need there in that man's life and helped his neighbor. How, how do we know if we have humility working for us? One, will honor will follow those who are humble. God always takes care of the humble. He, in fact, he, Peter says he gives grace to the humble. Some other attributes of people who live in humility is, one, they acknowledge they don't have it all together. If we cannot acknowledge we don't have it all together, chances are humility is not a strong suit. People who are humble always seek to add value to other people's lives. Not take away, not put down, not demean. People of humility always take responsibility. 
And people of humility are filled with gratitude as another attribute. Filled with gratitude for what you have. Not always feeling entitled to what you think you should, de- you should get. I know this is a rip-roaring message. I mean, it's got everybody shouting hallelujah. Those of you watching online, people can't contain themselves in this room today. I mean, people are shouting and clapping. I mean, they're breaking all the social distance rules. And I'm kidding, they're not. And I shouldn't say that because that's wrong. But we're called to give hope to our neighbor. And friends, it's not about trying to be the next big fish in a pond. What I mean by that is you're not trying to be the next big thing in order to spark a a movement or a moment to create spotlight to say, hey, I love you, or I'm here to help you. I think it's more about just make sure your life just keeps on splashing, that you just keep splashing, that you keep coming to the surface, that you keep making a splash with how kind you can be and how honoring you can be and how humble you can live and how you can serve others and how you can be there to help other people when they need you. And that's what this Samaritan did. That's what the story goes. That's what Jesus did. And a third way, you and I can show hope and be hope to our neighbor is that we can stand with others when they are down. We can stand with others when they are down because Christ has stood up for us. Certainly this Samaritan did that. He stood up for this man. He could have left the guy. Could have just played, hey, I just don't, I pretend I don't see him. I, I, I can't help you. But he went so far and he helped him in his wounds and he paid for him at the, at the end. And then when he was ready to leave, he left the guy there with money at the, at the lobby for the guy. And he said, here, I'm paying for the bill and if it costs any more, I'll take care of it when I come back through. He was standing up for this man who was down in his life at that moment. Anybody ever been down? Come on, church, we got to get honest. Anybody ever been down in life? Has anybody ever been there to help stand up with you? Yeah. I can't begin to count how many times that I've gone through seasons of life that have gotten me down. And there have been people, strangers even, who didn't even know what was going on in my life. And I would get a word, I would get a a message, I would get something from somebody that would just reassure me they were thinking of me, they were praying for me, and certainly God had not forgotten about me. And that's what this Samaritan did. He stood up for this man when he was down. And Jesus stands up for us. Paul writes about this in Romans 8. He says, who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. And then the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 writes that Jesus, who's the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now... He is seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. Certainly, it goes without any doubt that Jesus has stood up 
for all of us in our times that we have been down and continues to stand for us. And He, ex- he calls us. If we're going to make disciples, if we're going to make followers of Christ of all different kinds of people, we need the help of the power of the Holy Spirit to help us stand up for others when they are down because it shows them hope. It shows them there's hope. So Jesus stands up for us. He's pleading for us. He's at the, he's at the right hand of the throne of God the Father pleading for us. And He also put Himself in our place on the cross. So it shows us this, that ways you and I can stand up for others when they are down is we can plead for them. We can pray for them. We can pray for others. Ezekiel and the Lord, the Lord told him, he said, hey, I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. He said, I search for someone to stand in the gap, in the wall, so that I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one. In essence, I found no one who would pray for others. The prophet Habakkuk said this in Habakkuk 2.1. He said, I, I will climb up to my watchtower and I will stand at my guard post. And there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. And then James, in James chapter 5 or 16, he tells us, hey, pray for one another so that you may be healed. Think about that. Someone asks you to pray for them, and you pray for them, and their life changes. How many times has someone asked us to pray for them, and we even said the words, I'll be praying for you, but we forget. Don't raise your hand because I'll have to raise mine too. We forget sometimes. But look at the power of what happens when we do pray for others. Change. Healing. But we also, Christ put himself in our place on the cross. And here's the thing that's hard for us to do sometimes is, what if we put ourselves in other people's place, trying to think, what would it be like if I were in their shoes? We don't like to do that because we've got our own shoes, we've got our own place, we got our own lane, and we think, man, I made this, I, I was doing this, and God did this, and here I am. But think about what life would be like if you were in, and I were in someone else's shoes. It would make us less critical and more compassionate. It'd make us less judgy and more like Jesus it make us less arrogant and more of an advocate. If we would, as Christ followers, take the time to be more like Christ and think about it, what would life be like if I were in their place? We're called, as followers of Jesus, to be hope to our neighbor, to be hope for our neighbor. Now, now listen, we can't think it's possible that we can save the world as a person. We can't help every single person that's out in this life. It's impossible. But just start small and think about the common roads of life where you live, the common roads of life that you travel, 
the common word ro- roads of life where you, where you go, wherever that might be. And just think about people who are there on that common road of life and how God wants to use us to be hope for that neighbor. Certainly this is an hour for the church to really and truly shine as the light in this dark world. I want to close with a story. It's about a missionary. I don't know if you've ever heard of this missionary. I hadn't heard about him until I I just came across this story. His name is Alexander Duff. Anybody heard of him? Yeah, of course Dr. Woods has. Anybody else heard of this man? I hadn't. Did you say you did? Oh, good for you. Look at you, young scholar. Dropping the wisdom bombs on us. But Alexander Duff, he was old at this time, and he returned to his homeland of Scotland from India to die. It was there during the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland that Dr. Duff addressed everyone who was present, and he made a strong appeal for young people to give their lives for India to know Jesus. But no one responded. And under the strain of the appeal, the aged missionary fainted, collapsed to the floor. A doctor bent over that old veteran and was examining his heart. And when suddenly his eyes opened, and he asked, where am I? Where, where am I at? And the doctor said, just lie still. And he said, your heart is very weak. And, but that old kingdom warrior interrupted. And he said, no, but I, I've got to finish my appeal Salvation is at stake. Take me back that my appeal may be heard for the lost. Again, the doctor cautioned him and said, Hey, if you do it, it can mean your life. The missionary would not be stopped. Gathering his strength, he got back on his feet with the doctor on one side and the assembly chairman on the other, and the old white-haired warrior continued while the whole congregation rose in honor of his courage. He resumed his appeal and he said, When Queen Victoria calls for us to give our children in service to the crown, hundreds of young men respond and we applaud. But when King Jesus calls, no one goes. And he paused. And once more he continued and he said, Is it true that Scotland has no more sons and daughters to give for the King of glory? And again he waited. No one responded. There was silence. The old man then made a major decision, and under the heavy burden of India's unreached millions, he concluded his call, and he said, Very well. If Scotland has no more sons to send to India, then thou, an old and decrepit man that I am, I will go back. And even though I cannot preach, I will lie down on the shores of the Ganges River, and I will die in order to let the peoples of India know there is at least one son in Scotland who cares enough for their souls to give his life for them and the King of Heaven. Well, the old veteran turned to leave, stumbled down out of that pulpit, and silence was broken at last. (laughs) All over the congregation, young men and young women standing to their feet crying out, Sir, I'll go! Sir, I'll go. Sir, I'll go. 
They were going to go. They were going to answer the call, much like Isaiah and Jeremiah did. In the exchange that the Lord had with Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. He said, before you were born, I set you apart. And I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah said, well, I can't speak for you because I'm too young. The Lord replied and said, don't you say you're too young. You got to go where I send you and say what I tell you. Don't be afraid because I will be with you and I will protect you. And then it said the Lord reached out his hand and touched the mouth of Jeremiah. And the Lord said, look, I put my words in your mouth. And today I appoint you to stand up. Church, you may not have to go to India. You may not have to go to a foreign country. But Jesus is still asking his people, those who have said yes to the king, to still get up out of their beds every day, to still bow their knees to the Lord and pray, and ask the Lord of the harvest, fill my heart with compassion for this world that is broken and hurting and lost. Help me not to live my life for myself alone, but by the love that you have, compel me and move me, shake me and stir me to go out on this journey across the common roads of life where I live, where I work, where I go to school, where I play, where I pay money to be entertained. Show me and open my eyes and help me as a follower of Jesus to be hope for the neighbor all around me. Friends, we don't have to make it so hard. We just need God to soften our hard hearts. Will you stand with me today? I'll pray. Who will go? Who will go? Who will go out in the common roads of life and show kindness? We have a chance to do that today. Some of us are, may go out and eat. We have a chance to show kindness. This week, there may come a need from someone. Can we serve? Can we help? Can we attend to? Don't know. Can you? Can I? There are going to be people that we encounter in our common road of life that are down. And all they're going, all they really need, someone to see, look into their eyes and see they're down. Just be there to stand with them. You don't have to be God's gift to the world to make a difference. We just need a compassionate heart and to remember that we once were that man who was beaten and left half dead in our trespasses. And if it were not for the compassion and kindness of the Lord in Christ Jesus, He would not have come to our help.
and provided hope for us. Today, if you want to answer that call just in your heart, as I ask you to pray, let's bow our heads. In your heart, just tell the Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm able. And I'm here. Today, oh God, we cry out to you. If you're at home watching, just ask you to pray with us right now. Who's going to change the world? One person at a time. Saying yes to Jesus. Asking Jesus to be love and kindness and in our life to other people. Help us to never get too to get away from that. Help us to remember, Lord, that's what you've called us to. And today, just ask you, this is challenging. It's challenging for me to even preach this. But Lord, you're counting on us. Jesus, you're counting on your church. And we want to be counted on by you. We want you to be able to say to us, well done, my good and faithful servants come Holy Spirit fill our lives fresh and anew now and open our eyes to see the world around us to be hope for our neighbor in Jesus name